Hey folks, this is Mike. Just including this here as a little disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Cody's got some life stuff going on and couldn't make it this week, but luckily I've got a couple of really good friends here that are able to jump on and help me out with this episode. I think you're really going to like what they have to say and they offer a really unique perspective on today's topic. So uh, stay tuned and Cody will be back with us shortly within a couple of episodes. Thank you for your understanding and your patience and yeah, enjoy the listen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody, and welcome to Shouting Into the Void, our nerdy little podcast where we answer the hypothetical questions you didn't even know you had. My name is Mike. I'm Colin. And I'm Pierce. And this week's question is, what is a dungeon master? All right, so that's a pretty big question right off the bat because, I mean, the the obvious answer is everything and everyone else besides the players in your role-playing game, but uh, there's more to it than that, I think. (laughs) Yeah, they can also be called, like, the game master or storyteller or anything like that, but pretty much they're the person in charge of kind of making sure the story flows and rolls. Uh, Right. They do everything from narrating to running combat... Yeah, they are the game outside of the PCs. The PCs get to interact with basically the Dungeon Master's imagination. Right, imagination and notes and uh, oftentimes improv. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes? How about 100% of the time? Not quite 100% of the time. Yeah, no. uh, 95? Yeah, not quite 100%. But I I would give it 95. I would say, I mean, realistically, not quite that high, but it's... What, what the analogy I think of is, you know, being like a duck, you know, gliding smoothly across the water and paddle like hell under the surface where nobody can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, I figured the first thing we can kind of do is speak to kind of our experience as DMs or GMs, people that run role playing games for other people. So, I mean, if one of you guys wants to jump in there and start us off with with where you're at and kind of what you've done. Uh, yeah, so I've been DMing for, well, uh, since back in high school, so now roughly, if you go by a full year, it's probably, full years, it's probably been 10, 12 years, but really only actively DMing for six to eight, probably. Sure. Um, run a couple of homebrew campaigns, haven't really done many modules, mostly one-shot modules for that, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's just been kind of homebrew off-the-cuff stuff, occasional one-shots here and there that I've kind of had to make up on the fly when people were like, hey, we want to run a one-shot, like, tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make one up. Right. Um, yeah. And what about you, Colin? What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm pretty new to D&D overall. i um, been playing about two years, DMing for about a year and a half. Kind of jumped into the DMing pretty quickly once I rolled my first dice in the Cody's game. Cody's actually a DM for our for my my introduction to D&D. And um yeah, I mean I've mostly run modules, haven't gotten into the homebrewing campaign worlds, but that is something that I want to do. Um definitely modulated the modules. Oh, sure. changed 
change the uh, where it's located, basically use the module as a guide of sorts rather than verbatim. Yep. You've, you've taken it and made it your own, essentially. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's another skill we can touch on later with, with DMing and GMing is... The spectrum of homebrew versus module. Well, yeah, yeah, when you have to know the rules in order to know when to break them. And that's not knowing every dice roll and every instance of every rule interaction. It's storytelling rules, right? Cool. It's like... Mm-hmm. What what of what parts of this module need to stay and what parts need to go? But we can we can definitely get into that a little bit later. Um, yeah. As far as my DMing experience goes, I uh, started in late high school, so yeah, mid to late high school, probably ten years ago now, and didn't really DM much besides a couple little one or two shots, and then uh, really tried my hand at GMing late in college. I think Pierce was a member of that first campaign that I ran, and. God, I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> uh, it went smoothly for the most part. Yeah, for the most part, but lessons <laughs> learned. You know? And then after that, I've uh, I've GM'd a couple of games. One was a homebrew for D and D five e, and one was uh, I'm currently currently we're in a module. Um, but yeah, it's it's been mostly Dungeons and Dragons. I've dabbled in some other systems, uh, the Dresden RPG and uh, Call of Cthulhu a couple of times, things like that. But mostly mine has, has been Dungeons & Dragons focused, which I think most people can say for most of their experience. Yeah. yeah. Four five. and then 3.5 and then five. Ooh, four. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like video some, games? Yeah, I, I, that was in high school, and that was, that was like my first two years playing, and I had no idea what was going on. So, I mean, four... Four is great for like the power gamer fantasy, the the combat, 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 mm-hmm. combat type fantasy. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and I've only ever really listened to like live play podcasts for Four E. I haven't actually played any other versions except for Five E. So I'm pretty newbie when it comes to that. I like Five E. Yeah, Five E definitely has the lack of rules. Kind of comes into helping it almost like. There's a lot more RP and like you can kind of finagle your way around rather than being like, this is the rule that you have to follow type of thing. Right. Or just being bloated by rules such as 3.5's grappling rules and how those. Oh my God. Oh, that was, that was, we literally in high school when I first started playing, it was 3.5 and we had a, a house, we had a table rule, no grappling because nobody wanted to deal with that shit because it was just instance after condition after like, Oh, but subsection this. And it was a lot to keep track of like going back now and reading it straight through it's digestible, but it's so like niche and specific. But don't even get started with grappling two or more creatures. Like, (laughs) right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a mess, but yeah, simplification of five E makes things a lot easier, but at the same time, kind of natural language can also impede the game as well. Um, because there'll be times where the rules will say one thing, but the flavor text kind of implies another, and there's no good breakdown from where things are. Um, right. Like for grappling, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in 5e's grappling, they're like, people didn't like this? Well, let's go opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, a good. it actually ended up pretty much how we 5e was... Back when I was playing 3.5, we basically ran 
grapples like five beam right. grapples because right. it was otherwise just uh, crazy. Right, pretty simplified and and yeah. pared down a little bit. So that's a long-winded way of kind of alluding to the experience each of us has DMing. Um, I guess my my first kind of question as we kind of delve into what is a dungeon master is, if you guys had to kind of summarize your personal approach to DMing in as straightforward a way as possible, like how would you do that? And if you need a minute to think, that's totally okay because that's kind of a bomb question to drop on you. It's a little bit, <laughs> a little deep. <laughs> um, I, way- I think oh, I can actually kind of tackle that kind of right now. I'm I'm very much about the story. Like we're here to tell a story. We're here to play a story. So if you kind of go based on the three major pillars of D&D, uh, combat, RP, and exploration, I definitely fall a lot more heavily into the exploration and RP side of things. I like to tell a story. I like to have go things. And kind of the combat is um, uh, kind of a vehicle to make to get the player from point A to point B. It's It's very useful. It's engaging. It's fun. It gets your mind thinking. It gives you that kind of mathematical problem solving and itching and strategizing that you, that you kind of need in a game. Um, but it's definitely not my, um, I'm going to say favorite aspect. It's still, it's, I, I still like 5e combat. It's just, sure, it's, it's not, fun. it's not the top. Exactly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I do a lot of when I'm planning kind of my homebrew stuff, usually what I'm doing is I'm just kind of, I plot usually the world and I plot the, plot the plot um i usually (laughs) recycle pantheons and races and all that kind of deep pre-built lore from forgotten realms or eberron or wherever kind of makes the most sense because it's what players are familiar with Um, sure you've got to give them you got to give them something to hang on to something to plant their feet and say okay i know this the rest of pierce's world i don't know but an elf's an elf a dwarf's a dwarf an orc's an orc you know bahamut and Tiamat are good and bad gods, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. You like, you know, you know the dividing lines. I mean, right. with custom pantheons and stuff like that is good, but um, unless you can really get a player hooked with a custom backstory or something like that, they're not going to pay much attention to that. They just want to know, hey, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Sure. Yeah. So um, your your approach is probably story first and foremost and above all. You know, everything you do kind of serves the story. Yeah. It's it's a great way to approach it. Yeah, because, yes, the backstory is important. And, like, you need to have the backstory there to support it. So, like, you need to know why, why are your, your big bad evil guy doing the things that they're doing. But you need to make sure that that isn't, like, conflicting with anything else or confusing the players. Sure. Now I saw Colin. I saw you perk up at the mention of Bahamut and Tiamat, and that <laughs> I, I definitely have had discussions with you about that in your game. So yeah, yeah. Tiamat's the big baddie. We're running the uh, the Tyranny of Dragons campaign. Hell yeah. Um, which yeah, as far as my DM preference, I'm r- mostly run modules. I haven't really ran anything that's like too custom. Um, Pierce helped me, helped me with my first like monster that was more custom which was a dragon that we decided to call it the college years rather than <laughs> an adult versus young. Um, Hell yeah. But yep. yeah, Frat I, dragon. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. But as far as my 
I like the story more like I like the stories and I like finding stories that that are simple to interact with, not something that's like overwhelmingly um like too much. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um the tricks and stuff, like uh the one shot that I ran for you guys, um with the uh I'm forgetting the name of it, but False Hydra. Yeah, the False Hydra. Like those types of campaigns where there's like it's it's there, but like the the players have to kind of work around a puzzle in order to like kind of get there. So getting the players to think is kind of the aspect that like I run through. Sure, but you less. don't want it to be like inaccessible for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not I'm not for the straight we go to the castle and fight and then we go back type of thing. So you'd be you'd be bored running a sandbox is kind of what you're saying? Yeah, unless it's like a dungeon where my goal is just to kill as many PCs as possible, because that's pretty fun, too. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the meat grinder dungeons. Those yes. Are... You're, you're talk- now you're talking from what I hear about, like, first and second edition, because, yeah. like, you know, old timers, old, old D&D heads will joke, oh, how many, bon- you know, how many extra characters did you roll up for tonight? Because apparently that's how it used to be. You would oh, be yeah. in a dungeon, and if your character died you would find your next character tied up as a prisoner in the next room and the party would free you and you're in the game. Touch everything with the 10 foot pole. Do not use your hands. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's one of the big differences between the, the kind of the progression from first and second edition. It was much more of a, a a liberal game. Like you were, it was not really, it was more adversarial. Like you were more against the DM and it was more of like, going and exploring dungeons and stuff like that. There wasn't right. really as much of a story driven thing. It was much more like a, a text-based dungeon crawler or something like that, where you're just, sure. you're there to go, you're fight to fight monsters, get the loot and, and win. Mm-hmm. Right. Nowadays it's a lot more about the, Hey, how can we make a good story? So mm-hmm. like revivica- uh, uh, revivify and the resurrection spells are a lot more accessible because it allows players to get much more attached to their characters. That's true. Yeah, that that kind of feeds into what I would say is my sort of philosophy on DMing, which, you know, having run games in 3.5, having run games in other systems, the the players have the power, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's why, or that's why I DM, so that the players have a good time. And, you know, so that means that everything serves player enjoyment. Yes. In, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even if I want to tell a specific story, if the players are constantly talking out of character, like, oh man, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. Or, oh, it'd be really cool if X happened. Like, that's yeah. going to influence my decisions as a DM yes. because mm-hmm. I, I want to make them happy. I want to make sure they have fun. Yes. I should, I should clarify. Yes. I'm, I'm not railroading. I'm, I'm not the railroading. No. I'm a very no, much a yeah. sandbox DM. I'm, I, <laughs> By telling a story, I mean, uh, I should say, telling the story that the players want to tell, but just don't know it yet. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Having them build the story for you is one of the best assets of the PCs. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, you're talking about that little thing. You think that's what's going to happen. Oh, that's a good idea. Let me write that down. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, yeah, a lot of times the players make you as a DM look better than you are when <laughs> they give you an idea and you're like, fuck, that was 10 times better than what <laughs> I had written down for tonight. Guess we're going that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just being able to think on your feet and go, Oh yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to tug on that plot rope that they just 
handed over so nicely to me, wrapped up in a nice bow. Right, right. When the, when the players hand you a plot rope, that's great. When the players tug on one corner of the plot thread and the whole thing unravels on you, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. I mean, so we've got, you know, we've got story focused, we've got, you know, power to the players. We have, you know, wanting the the player interaction and everything to kind of be the spotlight. It's we're all kind of saying the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's collaborative storytelling. Yeah, which that's the best way. Me, when I explain D anD D to anybody, that's what I tell them. Like that's yes. that is the best way to explain it. Is it's storytelling via like an interface that are plastic dice and yeah. your imagination. <laughs> like I mean, it could, like you can come up with the story and like you can have a PC or or an NPC that you really want to interact with or like anything like that. And just interacting with the world, the DMS created right? is you're telling a story that the DM is kind of giving you the playground going, let's see what you can do. Right. Absolutely. Like nothing, nothing makes me like light up more than when I make an NPC for my players and I'm like, oh, they are going to hate this person <laughs> and they hate them or, oh, they're going to love this person and they love them. Like mm-hmm. that means I'm doing something right. So when my players buy in and are like role playing mm-hmm. with my with my characters that I've made for them to talk to, that's mm-hmm. that's huge. And I guess kind of leads me to my second question that I want to pose to you guys, uh, you know, as as game masters, as dungeon masters. What is your your favorite thing? to see or have or experience from a player like if a player does x you are like oh my god thank you like that's like you know they're a good player and you know that you know they're as invested in you having fun as you are in them having fun like what are your player like not red flags but the opposite green flags what are your green flags in players that you like like right off the top of my head having them pull something from like 10 sessions back into a conversation with the npc that has direct consequences in the like just when they really grasp like certain themes or whatnot and interact in that way is one of the best things rather than just having the standard talking to the bar like the or bartering or something like that like just instead of just a simple npc reaction which is like on the new york subway train where they actually dive into it and really grab onto the rp like that is like some of the best times when they're invested and yeah. they show it. Yeah. Um, I have kind of three things that, um, <laughs> that two of which are related to each other. One really isn't, uh, the first one I think we can talk about is, um, knowing how to share the load with the DM. Cause like, there's a lot of things that players themselves can do to help speed up the game and make sure things are going smoothly. Um, for instance, um, in like uh if you ever have if you're playing digitally which pretty much everyone is at this moment in time Mm -hmm. um like managing and you're using um a music bot uh, such as groovy or rhythm to bring kind of ambience into your um into the scene um having a player that manages that can just be a a big stress reliever for the dm because then you don't have to focus on that so um there's that um having the players kind of handle the initiative order. So while you're setting up miniatures and drawing out the map, the players can be rolling initiative and figuring out their initiative order for themselves. 
and then you just pretty much have to just drop the drop the monsters in in their locations. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that of um, what what you referred to as sharing the load with the DM or taking taking some of the work off of your plate, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, because there's just so much. There's so many things that the DM has to do in in game to be able to oh. balance it out and yeah. like, hey, you're just going to take this and you can help that. And like, if it's even if it's as simple as, hey, remember uh, that monster that I'm uh, got this condition, that monster is has that, or just saying, hey, don't forget to add sneak attack to that damage because he has advantage against me. Like, even as stuff as basic as that really helps. And just okay, being so you're right. level with the DM. Right. So you're kind of touching on two concepts here. You're touching on sharing the workload, and then you're touching on honesty in, in, in combat or honesty yep. in, uh, yeah. in abilities. Yeah. Because, yeah, a lot of times, uh, this is a tangent, we'll get back to the main thread, but the when things go wrong are when the best stories are told. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have had multiple characters where it's like, okay, everything went perfectly fine. That's not a very fun story but when you have to tell a story about how oh yeah my character died and then was resurrected and then died again but was resurrected slightly worse the second time so now has all these different weird problems and then bad shit happened and all this came crashing down around us that's a lot more sounds like he's talking about your uh your character's deal with the dark powers in barovia there colin a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) i might have bat wings and some skeletal fingers but i can fly so it's all good there you go. Uh, you, were, you were saying something, Colin, when when Pierce was talking about being honest with the DM. Yeah, like having like sometimes that's one of the biggest things that like when a PC is honest that the DM missed something or they misrolled or something, and it's detrimental to the PC to bring it up and they correct the DM. Like that is like a really good trust factor. Like having mm-hmm. that in like having having the PCs know that. It is like they're just their honesty, like definitely helps out a lot. Well, like, like if, especially if it's in a crucial moment, like if I'm like about to attack a player for lethal practically and, you know, down them Mm -hmm. and they remind me, Hey, technically this monster has advantage on me. I'm like, well, you know, since you reminded me either I'm going to say the monster doesn't have advantage now because you were honest, or I'm going to say, Hey, you get inspiration now because mm-hmm. you reminded me and you were honest. Like even in a, a crucial moment that the player is really in danger, you know, if, if they're, if they're doing right by me, I'm going to reward that kind of play, you know, can't mm-hmm. do it every time, but you know, if a player's doing something right, you can, you can cut them some slack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yet another point though, I think Pierce, yeah, so the other two are kind of tied together of knowing when to talk and knowing when to shut up. Because <laughs> there's a lot of times where it's like, hey, like I know that you want to talk and you want to roleplay, and that's that's great, and I, I love that, and we should talk and we should roleplay. But there are other times where it's like, I'm trying to give you crucial information, and you keep going off on tangents and stuff like that. So just know, knowing when, when it's okay to talk and when it's okay, then like, hey, guys, we should we should listen to what the DM is saying. Like there are times when I've let the players just RP between themselves for 45 minutes to an hour. And that yeah. was glorious. Cause I could just sit back and hold my hands <laughs> behind my bed and take a nap. Like I had to do nothing, but yeah. at the same time, it's like, Hey, um, I'm trying to get, get us moving. And I know that we're like, we keep going off 
on the same tangent every time for like the past 30 minutes. I was like, no, let's shut up on that and let's get back into the game. We're here to play a game. Right. Like, let's play the game and let's focus in. So having that nice balance between tangents are okay and extreme amounts of role-playing are okay, but getting that balance of, hey, let's move the plot forward and let's not dilly-dally, unless that's really what you want to do, and then tell me about it and I can create a completely sandbox world where if you just want to go and shop around town and that's all you want to do, okay, we can do that. Just Mm -hmm. Let's just set some reasonable expectations. Right. Yeah. And just to touch on uh, you, with the honesty thing, like me as a DM, I know the character sheets, like kind of, you know what I mean? Like I have a good grasp on like some of the bigger items they have in their inventory or yep. like what they can do more or less. But yeah. when it comes down to rogue. like, you can sneak attack. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to the, like their turn, one of the bigger, like knowing what they can do, the having them know what they can do and actually doing it correctly goes a long ways, especially in battles that, you know, I mean, you, if you have multiple and like multiple monsters and it's a big battle, you're going to be there for an hour and a half regardless and have having player care, like players that know exactly what their spells do or what their attacks do so that we're not having to dig through a rule book. Yeah. Like every turn is very helpful. And knowing what you're going to do on the turn before your turn is like, yes, combat can change and people can move around, but Mm -hmm. on the turn, on the initiative order before chances are, it's not going to move too badly. So have one or two contingencies. So, you know, Oh yeah. If nothing changes, I'm just going to smack this guy. But if this other thing happens, then okay, I'm going to misty step over here. Right. I I like, I like to approach it like Texas Hold'em where you have, the flop, the turn, and the river getting dealt to you in Texas Hold'em, except I do that with initiative. So I will like address my players. Okay, hey, it's Cody's turn now. Pierce, you're on deck. Colin, you're in the hole. Mm-hmm. Like you're going, yep. you're you you two are next in the order. So know what you're going to do. Yep, and mm-hmm. and get going. And that's that's less of a problem with smaller parties. But if you get into party size five or God forbid bigger, yeah a lot of times having a little hourglass timer. Okay. You have a minute to do your turn. Yeah. And you better know what you're doing. (laughs) Less usually. Yeah, But that's, that's a a huge thing that you both have kind of touched on. It's, it's a respect thing. The honesty comes from respecting the GM's time. The, you know, the knowing what you're going to do on your turn comes from respecting the GM's time. The not, talking over each other and arguing for 45 minutes comes from respecting each other's time. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not even respecting our time or respecting the GM's time or being the GM's it's respecting your party's times and your teammates. Like we're all here to have a good time. We're all here to play D and D. If we're not playing D and D we're not doing it. Yeah, exactly. To, to go along with that. And I think you'll both agree on this because it's definitely story oriented. Knowing when you're in the spotlight and when you're not in the spotlight as a player, mm-hmm. if like if I'm playing Strahd and Strahd is talking to Colin's character about Colin's destiny and what's going on in Colin's life and his head and, and his future and, you know, making this long this long conversation with Colin. Pierce the Rogue isn't going to be like, hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to try to go steal Strahd's tablecloth. Like, no, <laughs> not, not right now. Like, we'll get to that, uh, but don't insist on it. You know, yeah. or or don't like talk over us. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, and and a good thing to kind of do that is put kind of put it on the stack, barring a Magic the Gathering term of we'll we'll get to you, but right now we're just going to focus on this, and then we'll switch over and we'll deal with your thing. And if we need to, we can get back to Colin's monologue or RP session. But if not, like it just happens at simultaneous different points. Yeah, yeah. And I've learned a, a a decent way to do that is like knowing that there's multiple things that are going to happen. Say like the party splits, like doing like five minutes with the one side and mm-hmm. then going, all right, we're going to pause here and we're going to go and see, then do the other half and then kind of bounce back and forth at like a couple minute minute increments. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes it seem a little bit more that it is happening right at the same time. And it doesn't get boring for one side or the other, like the, where they're starting to tune out and then. Right. Yeah. Where no, you don't want anybody to be bored. The the best example I can think of for that is the end of Star Wars Episode One, because during the climax of that film, you have four separate battles going on in four separate locations, <laughs> and I don't think you spend more than ninety seconds of film on each mm-hmm. one. You have the space battle, you have the battle with the droids and the gungans out in the field, you yeah. have the lightsaber duel, and you have the fight in the in the palace, mm-hmm. and like. Say what you want about the prequels, but that is a masterclass in how to balance attention on different situations that are all happening at the same time and exactly. are all very high stakes. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what I always refer to. I'm like, okay, like in uh, in the Ravnica campaign I ran, Pierce, when you and Cody were breaking out of prison and. Mm-hmm the rest of the party was trying to break into the prison to rescue you. And I'm like, all right, we're going to do five or 10 minutes with Pierce and Cody, five or 10 minutes with the rest of the party. And eventually they're going to meet in the middle, but for now they're separate. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, you know, players helping you with that is a, is a big thing. Um, and I guess my other question was going to be about what are your pet peeves as a DM? But I guess we kind of touched on that by saying, hey, respectful players, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of turned away from like what we really like to, yeah, kind of <laughs> well, both sides. We brought, up, well, like, we brought up the good points, and then there's the, the kind of, the, we had to contrast it with something to kind of explain what we're talking about. When we're yeah. Talking about. <laughs> what do you mean by not shutting up? Because like there is, there is a balance to both, and not shutting up at the wrong time or shutting up at the at a time when you're supposed to be in the spotlight can also be kind of detrimental. Sure. I mean, I do have another, another kind of tangent. I'm sure we can go on. Um, I guess, what are your guys's top couple of tips for DMS or things you wish you could tell yourself when you started DMing that you, you wish you wish you knew, you know, when you first started uh, sitting behind the screen, as opposed to in front of it. Mine would definitely be like, details that you think matter most likely don't like don't get too specific in planning out the night like you can have like if they run into this NPC, this is the kind of stuff he's going to say and that's fine but like if you're going like they're going to go this direction they're going to go into this building like if they make it to this building and like because they're never going to what as soon as you try to (laughs) lay down a path and like you, you can, I've spent hours like going like, okay, this is exactly how they're going to go down this and do this and interact with this. And then they're going to be at here and like have the whole thing. And then five minutes into the session, they're off going down some alley in the opposite direction that you want them to be going and yeah. or not want them to be going like, but cause I'm right. not, I don't want to railroad. Like there's a handful of times where you have to, 
put the kids in, put the kids in the car seat and we're going on a ride but <laughs> but uh but it's definitely not like you don't want to do it too much and but yeah i've like the amount of planning and prep you can save yourself by not focusing on fine details yeah i wish i would have known that a lot there is on. a state or a quote that um that our group our other group uses a lot uh, which is uh no plans uh, survives contact with the enemy, uh, which is very fitting because you have no idea what the players are going to do. They will they will get focused on one hyper like hyper focused on one little bit of information that you dropped that is completely irrelevant to the story <laughs> or whatever, and they will just bite on that and go for it. Like where you. Like, like when you want to describe something and you describe it because you're pumped about like, oh, this is a cool object. It has nothing to do with the story, but like, I'm going to describe it. And then they're like, this must have something to do with the plot. And it's like, no, it's just, I just felt like describing that room a little bit more in detail because I think yep. it's a cool room. That, and, and then they spend 10 minutes doing perception checks and investigation checks yeah. <laughs> and detect magic. And that's when you have to take your glasses off and pinch the bridge over your nose and say, no, guys, it's literally just a, like it's just a cup it's just a gold cup with a couple <laughs> of jewels on it it's worth x gold like i just thought it looked cool yeah. i'm sorry i just like, players players are prone to the ooh shiny effect like yeah, yeah. well it, it also that actually is a good point because it it does bring up the question of how much description is a good amount because you want to give your players a good idea of what it is but um it's the um, a good way I've, I've been described or I've heard it described is the old timey hand painted uh, animation style where the the book on the shelf is a different color so you know that it's going to move in the next scene because they were literally stacked on top of each other. If sure. you spend too much time describing one particular object, the players kind of think, "Oh, that must be important because he's spending a lot of time describing it." Right, like George R. R. Martin describing every feast in the Game of Thrones novels. Like, <laughs> you don't need to go to that level of detail for the mundane things, but you do need to make sure that the important things kind of stick out. Yeah. Essentially, mm -hmm. right? But you do want to. You do like if you do not if you don't do enough description, um, it can one confuse the players because you you're basically just you, if you say, "Hey, you're in a room." Okay, how big is the room? What's it lit like? Like, you have to provide some description, but and you want to provide enough description at times that it's like, ah, is this actually important or is this not? Like you to kind of right. cancel out that, the, uh, the uh, cartoon effect, right? Like you want to be able to, to kind of balance that out. So there are like too much description, bad, too little description, bad. Also bad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I think to kind of piggyback off of this, like Colin, you and I kind of discovered this kind of at the same time when we were talking about your, your rise of Tiamat campaign or tyranny mm. of dragons, whichever one it was, I forget. Yeah. They're um, both on the same. <laughs> and, and, and you were talking about the adventure in this castle where they came in at the bottom and they like worked their way through it. And they had these different factions that were in the castle and everything like that. And what you and I kind of came up with was, okay, approach a session like this. What information do I need the players to know and understand? Okay. Yeah. Once I define those things, how do I get that information to them so that it is important to them? Yeah. And how do you do it in, in multiple different ways in case it doesn't go the way you have planned? 
Yeah. Like the castle scene that he's talking about, they had, there was four or five different ways they could approach the situation. There's multiple factions that ended up popping off, but like there's a fight. There's like, there was three different outcomes. Like they could have fought, they could have talked, they could have just ran in and rogued it and gotten what they wanted and got out type of thing. But knowing, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> but, but knowing, yeah. knowing the different ways they could approach it, you kind of could prepare a basic level of, okay, if they do yeah. this, I can get them the information like this. Yeah. If they take this approach, these guys are going to tell them this instead. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, to fight everyone, the big bad evil guy will monologue at them for a bit and then <laughs> get cut off by a swift arrow to the face. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's a good example on, like, I was getting too caught up in the details and that's where Mike kind of, like, we were talking because I was trying to focus too much on if they did this path rather than, like, just approaching it in a way that allowed for me to have multiple objectives, them to have different outcomes without it really even being a thing that looked like I planned it to detail. I I like to call that, you know, it's the same, it's the same principle, whether you're talking plot points or like maps and like drawing out a city, because you, you mentioned Colin, like, Oh, what if they go to this other building? What if they go to this building? You know, all roads lead to Rome. Mm -hmm. Every path the players can choose. If you really need them to go somewhere, it's not railroading. If they don't know they're being railroaded, yeah. like I, there's two I doors and a goat behind both of them. It right. just happens no to be the same which goat. Door they go in, the goat will be there. Yeah. Yes. But as long as you don't reveal what's behind the other door. Yeah. Right. Or, or at least know what's behind it in case they go check. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. if your goal is party must meet the goat, then wherever they're going to go, they're going to run into the goat. Just know that if they go check the other spot, you got to have something prepared yes. there. Yeah. Yes. This is, of course, assuming that the goat behind a door is not a puzzle, which in that case can have a wrong solution, which. Right. But assuming that it's a plot thing and not a puzzle, feel free to put a goat behind every door. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's the the Monty Hall problem. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or the uh, I think I saw a comic one time about a meta troll or something like that. No matter which path we took, we were always going to meet the troll. Yeah. I mean, that's. (laughs) And in a sandbox game, that doesn't matter. But if it's a homebrew or whatever module you're running, if there's an NPC or someone that the party has to meet, then they're going to be there. Like, Mm -hmm. no matter what. Or the party's like, okay, you can go the path, take the path through the mountains or take the path through the swamp. And they debate and they talk about which one they're better suited for and everything. And that's fine. But on either path, there's going to be a hut with a hag in it that the party's going to meet. No matter what. Like, Mm -hmm. that's totally fine. It's it's okay to have to have a destination in mind and let the party choose the journey. I guess. Yes. Yep. That but I that wish does, I had known that when I was starting out DMing. That does bring up a good question: okay. How do you deal with players over planning? Because this Man, is like, the, the no. meta gaming or over planning. Like no, so this is this eating is a plank into the ground. Ah. Yes, we're we're going to um, we're going to, we need to break into this castle and go assassinate the king. Okay, well, do we go in by the front door or go in by the windows? Well, if we go in by the windows, then we can go in and we can sneak in. But if we're answer, not, not door, cutting you off, but cutting you off, a man walks through the door with a sword in his hand. Roll initiative. Fuck, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They like, linger too much. Just ambush them. Right. Well, like I, it, it, it works better in person. 
And I know the effect you were going for, Pearson. That's why I jumped in because yes. you have to do that to the party. You have yes. to cut them off. Otherwise, they will spend all night planning Ocean 17 when they don't have to. <laughs> yes. And so I, if I'm behind a screen, I roll a couple of dice threateningly because that always makes them perk up. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, <laughs> fuck. What would you roll for? Oh, nothing. Just you're, you're planning, right? You're in the dark corner of the tavern planning by candlelight. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. And then if they still, you know, I, I keep an eye on my watch. And if they still haven't figured something out within another like five or six real life minutes, a, a man walks in the door with a, with a sword in his hand or a bar fight breaks out or the authorities come and find them planning to assassinate the king or someone overheard and ran and got the guards or whatever. There mm -hmm. are consequences to actions and it's up to the DM to make sure there are consequences for inaction as well. Yes. He yeah. who hesitates is lost. Roll fucking initiative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. One of the mechanics that I've been kind of messing around with, and I've played it with a couple of times and people have liked it all the times, is the Blades in the Dark flashback mechanic. Um, oh, you were telling me about this. I don't yes. know if you know about this. Comment. No, I, don't, I haven't really heard of this cool. yet. So um, the Blades in the Dark mechanic, uh, Blades in the Dark is basically, as it was brought up before, Oceans 11, 12, 13, 17, 23, 99, whatever one you want. You're usually uh, playing as uh, criminal masterminds and you're trying to do X things. So really, when you, you, you don't actually even plan out a heist. You just get thrown directly into the action. So like, You'll start with a heist by saying, okay, you're just breaking through the window into the, um, the vault or into the bank that you're about to rob. Um, and then you play the game like normal until you get to a situation which needs to be resolved. So like in this case, it might be like, Hey, there's going to be a guard patrolling at the end of the hallway. How do you deal with it? Oh, well, I'd like to flash back to earlier in the day when I went and I went at found and I talked to the guard uh, that I right I bribed the head of the guards to tell me which guard was going to be on uh, there and that. I and I either I sabotaged them or I bribed them and said don't patrol this hallway or whatever and that allows you to kind of retroactively influence the course of events going forward it can't change the past because that's already been set in stone but like what? suddenly that guard might not be patrolling that hallway anymore, and now you can uh, sneak through. Right, right. Um, because because you you got you know the DM asks you you know you see the guard patrolling. What do you do? And the player says, "Actually, there's no guard, and here's why. I met him at the bar and bribed him to call in, so he's not yeah. there tonight." And the GM's like, "Okay, well, you're gonna have to role play this and roll for it and see mm -hmm. if you're successful." But it's it's a flashback type system where yep you you can kind of solve the problem in game before it happened, which I think is kind of cool because it cuts down, not to steal your thunder pierce, but it cuts oh. down on the over planning that, exactly. that players will do out of character. Like mm -hmm. instead of, Oh God, how do we cross this chasm? You know, you come to a chasm. How are you going to cross it? The party can say uh, flashback. I bought a, I bought an extendable ladder at the market. We can extend it and walk right across. Like Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's also another good mechanic is, um, uh, one of the other, uh, systems out there, I don't remember its name has, um, instead of you needing to buy individual, like inventory, like a grappling hook and rope and manacles or a box and stuff like that, it has generic, um, 
adventuring supplies. So, and then you could say, ah, oh, okay, I'm going to use an adventuring supply and it's going to be a grappling hook. And then you expend that resource as, as if it was a grappling hook. That way you don't have to worry about planning out like, hey, do you think we're going to need rope. a rope of climbing because we might need to climb this massive cliff? Oh, I don't think we'll need it. Who and needs then... the fucking rope? Stupid <laughs> fucking rope. Now I want to run a Boondock Saints game. <laughs> but so, but yeah, I mean, that that's a way to cut down on players. I guess over planning. I mean, I don't know how much you've run into that, Colin, because you you're running games with smaller numbers of players, which that usually isn't as big a problem. Yeah, we we had it once, and it actually a little bit of an anecdote that what happened is like they spent pretty much half a session just planning to get into this locked room, this locked room, so they could figure out who's stealing out of the locked room. Um, it was lizard folk, but uh, damn. So <laughs> so they they spent this entire session like figuring it out, like okay, one character had message, so like they were gonna basically be like relaying stuff and throughout the night and then the other one was going to hide in a barrel that they like disguised essentially so they spent the entire time doing this and i accidentally unraveled the entire thing by asking a simple question if they were going to wait in the box and then <laughs> it went into initiative so like that over planning yeah it, it, they can over plan take up half a session and then one little thing can unravel the entire thing exactly. and like it, it's it's it is almost a a time burdens when they mm -hmm. get focused too much. Yep. So that's, I mean, we're, we're kind of still on like a long winded tangent of what do you wish you could tell your, your initial self when you started DMing? Um, you know, we have, you know, all roads can lead to the same place or, you know, know what you need to plan versus what you don't need to plan. You know, don't over prep. I think Colin is what you would, what you mm -hmm. provided. Yeah. Um, you know, Pierce talking about managing party time and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to kind of jump in and tell the players, this is what's happening right now. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, is there, you guys have any topics related to DMing that you would kind of like to explore anything you've written down? Because that mostly exhausts my questions. I mean, we could talk about accidentally killing them. That <laughs> and how to handle that because I, I did that almost like it was the first couple sessions when they were still like level one, one, two. Oh, level one and, and two is like the most dangerous time in, in three point or five E. They're yeah, so pokey. Yeah, that's. I think it's kind of the point because like you want to like you want there to be some like element of mortality to it. Yeah. Like, and the it's easier to kill off players and not have to worry about being attached as much to them in the earlier levels than hey we've spent a year and a half getting to level 19 and uh due to some bad rolls you're dead permanently mm. good luck well shit yeah. yeah no resurrection spell saves you from this you are trapped right. in a crystal in the demi planes <laughs> uh had that happened to one of my this ever happened to you <laughs> was there a was there some cards that were involved in that one no no uh, Night, uh, Night Walker. Walker, yeah, Night Walker. Mm. Uh, has an aura of death that says any creatures that die within like 60 feet of it uh, cannot be res resurrected except by uh, a wish spell. Mm. And at that point, we were, I think, level like 12, 11 or 12, somewhere in there. 
Sure. So we didn't have access to Wish yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit out of the price range for that level. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about when I accidentally killed Pierce's character in the game we're running right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was, I started them off in uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is like the intro basic, like, yeah. welcome to D&D. Here's your short sword and a goblin. Go nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep, don't and, describe uh, it. They were they were breaking into this mansion to try to track down this guy, yada yada yada. They were fighting a uh, a bugbear, yep. and the bugbears, uh, when they roll a crit, they roll extra damage, like on top of just doubling their dice. Yep. And so, I think Pierce, you had like twelve or thirteen health left. And twenty. It was about twenty health at like level two or three, I think. Right. And it like the, this bugbear like crit for a ton. Yes, well, yeah, because can we, we can talk about your stupid busted homebrew crit system that <laughs> it's it's not stupid. It's not stupid busted. It makes crits feel impactful. You take the max of you you take the max hit possible on one set of dice, and then you actually roll the others. So a yes. crit is always going to be more damage than you can do with a regular hit. You're yes. never going to roll a crit and roll all ones and be like, well, I hit him with the blunt end of the sword. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But it, it, it has some weird um, uh, things like well, yeah, my the rogue. Get it too. Yeah, because monsters get it. So bugbears crit for something like 24 damage base and then go up from there. Yep. But then also uh, higher level rogues also get to crit on their sneak attacks and do 50 plus points of damage on a single attack. Right. But Which is... Which is my payback for that, Mike. <laughs> point, point being, with these crit rules, the bugbear hit for all of Pierce's HP and then got really lucky on the rolls and essentially did enough to insta-kill him. Like, can't be yes. brought back, like, dead, yeah. dead, dead, a yeah. thousand times dead. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was more more than Double. twice my hit points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep, you got it, Colin. And, and the, yeah, they were level three. So, uh, again, still in sort of the rocket tag territory where every hit could possibly be lethal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we're like, well, uh, how do we do this? So we, we worked out a way with Pierce's character and, and uh, with an aspect of his character and, and the race he was playing where he could come back. He just lost a part of his personality, essentially. Yeah. For, uh, for those of out there who understand uh, the otter races out there i was playing an eladrin which is a sub race of elf which has four they're tied to the feywild and they're very in tune with the seasons so they have four seasons fall spring summer and winter um i had i have basically been playing the character as each season is a, a split personality in that season uh i was or in that time, I was playing as spring, which was kind of the happy-go-lucky yeah, season. Yeah, sp spring is like, sp your spring was like neutral. He took good. his he was, joy is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's not a happy character anymore. Like, that's okay. But, you know, I mean, Pierce, you'll agree with me. Death should have a major impact on it a should. character. Exactly, yes. I, like, uh, I like to run the, like, the revivify rules and stuff like that with a concept or a, a um, a, a lingering consequence uh, outside of normal. Because, uh, sure. like, yeah, you, you, you bounce back up from zero, okay, and you're off and fighting again? That doesn't seem quite right. Yeah. Like, um, well, it's, I, that's actually one area that I steal from Critical Role is Mercer's Revivify 
Um, basically, it's, it's, it's based on skill checks. Each party member mm-hmm. has to make them, and it gets harder and harder the more they use the spell. So, oh. like, it's actually a pretty good system, and I didn't want to really talk about the Mercer effect because it's a touchy subject in the in the D anD D world nowadays. But I mean, it it is and it isn't. I mean, yeah. I, but even I, even then, like, I the one thing I don't like about that system is it does have a chance for it to fail completely and outright. Mm-hmm. Uh, which usually when you're getting to that point where it can fail outright is usually in the higher levels when you're much more attached to your characters. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, okay, maybe it doesn't fail, but there's a different consequence. Um, for for instance, that um, my character that got killed by the the Nightwalker uh, uh, was a was brought back by his patron, <laughs> um, and had more consequences imposed on him because of that. But then also was effectively turned into the shortest tiefling in the world because he was a halfling to start. So. <laughs> um, uh, there was some consequence there and it just made for a whole new kind of character and a whole new aspect to it. And then opened up a whole lot of interesting role-playing opportunities. So mm. a lot of D and D is overcoming adversity. Like, right. Hey, there's a big, bad, evil guy in the world. How do we defeat him? Hey, here's this problem. How do we solve it? Here's this door. How do we unlock it? Like everything mm. is all about overcoming that adversity. And if you don't, if everything just is like, Oh yeah, you do this and it works perfectly. There's not a lot of fun in that. Right. Yeah. The, and some of that is dictated by the dice and some of that is dictated by the story decisions you make as the DM. Um, but some of that can also be dictated by the players. I mean, oh, yeah. I, again, to, to kind of call back to something super popular, look at Lord of the Rings. A seal doer could have thrown the ring into the Mountain Doom, mm-hmm. but he didn't. You know, sometimes your players are going to make decisions like that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I mean, we've someone I forgot who, but they gave a book to of necromancy to an orphan to trade him for a locket in the Strad campaign that Cody's running, and that was a pretty messed up thing to do. <laughs> oh. This kid is now walking around with a intro to necromancy. Oh, oh, Cody and I have talked because I, I full disclosure, I I play Strad in Cody's Strad campaign. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing the main villain for Colin's party and all of them. And uh, Cody and I have talked at length about <laughs> that kid and that book of necromancy and the locket. And that the bill comes due. <laughs> so like this decisions the players make, like you can twist those on them. Like, uh, Oh yeah. Well, like, I mean, well, that is the wish spell, right? Like be careful what you say, because like you could ask for one thing and I'll take it literally how you said it, or you yep. can twist it and they get what they want, but they also sacrifice a large portion of something. It's, it's really fun when players make bargains with higher powers and things like that. Um, both of you guys, again, I, I plug this all the time where it's relevant, but it touches so much fantasy and legend that it's pretty relevant. You guys are both reading the Dresden files on my recommendation. Yeah, and you're both about to get to some of the books that are very fey and fairy focused, and you don't bargain with the fey because <laughs> they will find a way to twist your goddamn words around on you and make you regret ever making that deal. And the wish spell can be like that. Like if they if the players don't word it precisely, 
Mm-hmm. Careful what you fucking wish for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm actually at that point in the Dresden Files. Oh, yeah? With the Godmother. Oh, well, I don't oh yeah. Know yeah. I haven't. But... Oh, wait, which, maybe. Which book are you on? I'm on three. Oh, yeah. You're... Oh, okay, yeah. You're, yeah. Yep. Yep. Grave Peril's good shit. Um, but uh, to kind of go back to what you were saying, Pierce, it, it kind of goes along with what Cody and I were saying in an earlier episode where we were trying to fix zombies. If at any point it doesn't feel like there are any stakes for the players, you've yeah. lost you've lost the story. You've lost the threat. Like there should always be something at risk. There should always be stakes, whether that's getting killed in combat or losing something they care about. Like there's always something important at risk. And if there's if there's ever a point where the players know they can't fail. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they shouldn't feel invincible. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where actually one of my other campaigns that I was playing at that's now on temporary hiatus is going. We've most of our plans have succeeded really well and mm-hmm. like surprisingly well, and it's it's starting to get a little bit jarring. And we've commented on pretty much on it every time because like it's gone, they've gone perfectly smooth, and it's my character is getting a little bit overconfident. Because other than one time where he died, he, there wasn't too much at stake. So, like, he hasn't really lost anything. He doesn't really feel like there's much at stake at the moment. We're building up to that point, but, like, right. we're kind of in this weird gray zone. Well, and even, like, as a player, um, like, knowing that death is there. Like, if you're knocked down and the battle's not going the right way, like you definitely it's more it's almost enjoyable seeing chaos reign and it not working like oh, yeah. like to an aspect because it's like there are consequences like there's consequences yeah. to treating the shopkeep like an ass like if you're an ass to him like you could easily that can come back up like there's always okay. i mean um i had mike actually mpc or play an mpc mike and cody they are uh part of the council and they were bringing up stuff that the PCs they didn't really realize but they were doing stuff in the first half of the campaign that then they were questioned on because the council's been paying attention to what they've been doing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And you, you that was pretty eye-opening to them that oh yeah. we actually do need to keep track and make sure yeah. that we're not we're towing the line to an extent. Yeah, yeah it's D&D is not a game and that's what a lot of well, hit. <laughs> is not a video game um, right like in a video game you can't code for every single occurrence like like you have to kind of follow a somewhat linear progression but with D D, that your dm is hopefully smarter than your average computer so um have you met can... me <laughs> <laughs> no that's why we're doing this podcast right yeah um, uh, so like that's like your consequences will come back and feel free yeah feel free to steal from the shopkeep but they know like they they can see that and like there will be consequences for your actions and oh yeah that's that's half of the fun is like okay what shit did i get myself into and how can i get myself out of it 
Well, or explain I mean, to the next town why you can't go back to the other town to pick up the parcel for the 10 gold that they're offering. <laughs> right, because all the merchants of that town that you were dicks to have banded together and hired groups of thugs to beat the crap out of you on site. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I mean, it, it, it all ties down, you know, ties back to, you know, players getting overconfident, there being a lack of stakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, again, a peek behind the curtain for I guess for you a little bit, Colin, because you're a DM and you know, absolutely trustworthy, not gonna metagame anything. Mm-hmm. Cody will text me every so often and be like, hey, they're feeling pretty fucking cocky in the campaign. I think it's time for Strahd to show up and beat him <laughs> to a pulp. I'm like, okay, sure, let's let's make it happen. Yeah. And so then we have we have a session where he's uh, he tells me your levels and your abilities and everything like that and we plan out how to how to fight you guys and but it it makes the story have stakes because you you know the the characters are reminded at any time that there is this higher power this force that can absolutely ruin their day mm-hmm. and it puts a chip back on their shoulder it raises the stakes it makes them motivated like oh fuck this strad guy we're going to beat his ass like mm-hmm. <laughs> but without that motivation it's I mean, to, to, to quote the Incredibles from, from Disney, when everyone's super, no one will be. Like, what mm. does it matter if the players succeed every time? There has to be there has to be stakes. And I mean, and that's something I know I, I'm trying to work on in this game. I In past campaigns, it's been, you know, not as much stakes, but it you it, it can always be a better DM. You know? yeah. and, and that I mean, that's kind of a little bit what the conversation today has been about. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I don't know. You you mentioned it, Colin. Did we want to did we want to touch on the Mercer effect? Because, like you said, that's a that's a touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, that's part of the one of the reasons that I started playing. Absolutely. Like for like was because I started. Well, Adventure Zone was the first one I listened to. Love. And then Zone. as soon as Adventure Zone happened, I was like, I need to find more of this. And then I found Critical Role, and that was like, I need to play. And I actually that's how we ended up playing Strata. I texted Cody one day, and I'm like, You play D and D, right? Like, let's get some people together and let's get a campaign going fuck like, yeah dude like because i was thinking yeah. about just straight up dming and not even being a player but i'm right. glad i didn't do that right off the bat for my <laughs> for my sake yeah. um but uh yeah i mean it's definitely introduced a lot of things but as a dm and watching critical role and then interacting with my friends around <laughs> the table it's you're not they're not voice actors and no, you exactly. can't That's... go in expecting it. Like you're not no. going to have the deep role playing in that you see on critical. I mean, those just, they're making like hundreds of thousand dollars a month and they're trained actors. Like, yeah. so you got to kind of just go, Hey, like there's good things. Like there's certain things like interactions and the way that they interact is like, Oh, I should like, I can pull from that. Like the way that they handled this situation. Like, I mean, but that's every podcast, like every time you play D&D or play with another DM and see how they handle something like right. always. I mean, I don't think there's any DM out there that'll say all of this is my own. No. Like everything is stolen in some way yeah, or the other. Yeah. Not stolen, but borrowed. Inspired. Yeah, the easiest way to get get material is just to go and figure out how to adapt something else into it. Like I have so many encounters that I have just pulled pretty much directly from song titles mm-hmm. like just song titles or like snippets of lyrics like just like one lyric that's like hey we're gonna 
We're just going to focus on that, and we're going to build a combat blitz. Now I'm going to make an encounter. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's like okay, and so it's just like you write down you write down a lyric that kind of catches it in your mind. It's like oh, that would be interesting to to write. And uh, the man an in the back said, "Everyone attack!" And it turned into a ballroom blitz. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 right there with you, Pierce, and yeah. and I think it's important to address kind of what you're saying, Colin, which is the the critical role effect or the Mercer effect. They will be the first ones to tell you, and they say it all the time. Mm-hmm. All of them will be like, "Hey, we are not the be all and end all. We are professional voice actors. We act for a living." If you hold your DM or as DMs, you hold your players to the RP standards we present, you're going to have a bad time because this is our home game that we're bringing to everybody. Like Mm -hmm. when people are comparing themselves or each other to Critical Role and to Matt Mercer, that's when it's detrimental. But when you watch it as a fan and as a player and GM and say, oh, wow, they did that really well. I can borrow that or... Mm -hmm oh, wow, that was really cool. Hey, I need to work on myself to be better in this area. Like, like they'll, they'll go round and round and round. And like, I mean, Mercer has said numerous times, he hates the phrase, well, that's not how Mercer does it. He's like, no, yeah. stop doing that. Like, yeah. they, they, don't, they don't put themselves on a pedestal. Like for anybody listening, I want to I make it very clear. Like Critical Role is the most famous, most popular D&D broadcast in the world. They do a show every week. They're professional voice actors. They're, they're incredible. And they'll be the first ones to tell you, like, don't try to copy us and don't take what we do or say as gospel. And, like, and as a player or a DM, don't be disappointed because, like, I'm going to tell you right now, most of my NPCs, they sound pretty much the same. The pitch might <laughs> go up or down, but like, yeah. there's, I don't have voices that I can just pull from a bag. I might be able to do a Uper accent, but that there was from go. two years of working with, in Walmart. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. You, if you you got to go in not having those kind yeah. of expectations, and then I it, think it's yeah, it's like uh, going and trying to expect that your backyard football game is going to be as uh, as great a players as the Super Bowl. Like it's just an unreasonable expectation. Yeah, right. I'm I'm a beer league hockey player. Could I ever play in the fucking NHL? No fucking way. So then, why should I ever compare myself to people who literally get paid to play D and D? I shouldn't. I can look at them as an inspiration and watch them the same way I watch a professional hockey game and say, mm-hmm. oh, wow, they're so cool. I'm a fan. And oh, wow, hey, look at the way he passed that puck. I can work on that. Oh, wow, hey, look at Mercer nailing a Scottish brogue. Maybe I can work on that. Like, yeah. when you look at it for inspiration and admiration, it's great. Mm-hmm. For comparison to either your players or your DM or yourself, that's not healthy. Nobody does that. Bad yeah. idea. Bad yeah. idea. So, gentlemen, having addressed many different things here today, I'm going to turn to each of you. And I know it's a bit of an abrupt segue, but that's our specialty here on this show. <laughs> answer, answer the question. What is a dungeon master? Don't everybody jump in at once. I'm gonna I was going to say a nice long pregnant pause for Cody to edit out later. <laughs> Cody, keep that in. Keep that shit in. <laughs> trying to think of something witty and 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 fitting for a closing argument, but I am not a lawyer, so that is. I mean, the simplest way to say it is they are the judge, jury, and the police. Like they are everything. I mean, it's the be all end all. 
of yeah. the rules. I mean, they are they are the rest of your fairy tale. They are yeah. everyone but Little Red Riding Hood. They are everyone but Goldilocks. They are they are the world. They are your family. They are your friends. They are your enemies. They're the trees. They're the wind that blows through them. Mm-hmm. The dungeon master is the rest of the book. And I haven't ran into a DM that is not a fan of the PCs. Like they want the PCs to have as much fun as possible. Like yeah. I've, I've had some that are not that, but we'll okay. that's a <laughs> <time>. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also I was going to add on to Mike. Uh, Mike's things they might be everything, but at the same time, they're just your guide. Like yeah, they are everything, but they are there to help have help help you have a good time, and of course, have themselves have a good time. But like, if the players are having a good time, then usually they're having a good time. So they're much more like a spirit guide more than anything else. Like they're there to help guide you through this story. If we're talking to theater, the players are your leads. The GM are your supporting actors. They are the chorus. They are the band. They are the lighting. They are the costumes. They are the techies. They are the audience. The DM is everything except your main characters. And they solely exist to tell a story for and involving those characters. Yep. Yep. To the point They're, where they will talk to themselves for minutes at a time. Oh, God. Con- <laughs> we didn't even talk, I, we didn't even talk, talk to about myself. That. I am yeah. having such a bad time. Like, yeah. don't make me talk to myself. It just popped yeah. up in my head. I'm like, we didn't even talk about that aspect <laughs> of having to talk to yourself to yeah. tell a story. We could fill a whole other episode uh. with that. Um, but in, in case you guys all made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is, uh, this is shouting into the void. You can reach us on, uh, any social media, at, usually at SITV pod. I know we're on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us wherever all your major podcasts are found, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, anything like that. And, uh, if you have anything to say about being a DM or a player, feel free to email us, get in touch with us. I want to extend a big thank you to you guys for jumping on today. Uh, Cody's got some life stuff going on and couldn't make it, but you know, we can still have a podcast. We can still get episodes recorded. So uh, mm-hmm. until next time, folks, I've been Mike. I've been Colin. I'm Pierce. And roll initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Capable of restraining yourself, or do you take pride in being an insufferable know-it-all? We're gonna have to go right to ludicrous speed. That's it, man. Game over, man. <laughs>